Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, we talk about tough-mindedness. It's back. We're here. It's 2021. It's time for a new edition of City of God. Thank you for your patience. A lot has happened since we last talked, since you last heard my voice pouring through your earbuds or speakers or whatever it may be. I'm overjoyed to be back with you through City of God, and thank you to all of you who do listen, and occasionally I'll hear somebody at a conference or event I'm speaking at say that they listen to City of God. There are at least a few dozen of you out there, and so I'm very thankful for that, and I pray that this podcast will be a strength Uh, a strengthening agent to you and a help to you. Listen, since we last talked, it feels like in many respects, things have gone crazy. The chaos has gotten even more chaotic for Christians, in particular in the West and in America where I am. I have never felt more unrest and confusion and wildness in this country than right now in January 2021. And I think many of you are feeling likewise. We have witnessed so much in the last year. We have gone through a global lockdown and a national lockdown. Many of us have seen the virus uh, affect people in a real way, and some of you out there know of people who have died from coronavirus, and so that is something that we've had to handle and address and face. And then there has been tremendous political confusion, of course, as well. We, We now have a new president, Joe Biden, after a very controverted election. And so there's all sorts of repercussions that are even now playing out from that. Going back a bit, we had America burnt and riots playing out in many American cities this summer. And then we had a brief riot at the U.S. Capitol uh, just a little bit ago that uh, was not a high point for our society. And yet it was strange for many of us to see a massive outcry against the Capitol riot. Of course, there should have been an outcry there, even as there was deafening silence. On, on the part of many this summer when various riots promoted by Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and many American citizens torched American cities and caused tremendous damage, mayhem, and even death across this land. And so we are in an interesting place. We are in a place where we were told, for example, that the election results of this past November, November 2020, should have been accepted basically right off the bat. That was what many people said, where the left, frankly, for about three and a half years refused to accept the election results of Donald Trump becoming president in November 2015. So we're dealing with a bunch of double standards, as many have pointed out. Those double standards are real, and we are, again, confronting them. And yet, for many of us, there is no major lever to pull. There's nothing that is going to uh, happen in our little purview that's going to make everything right. There's no Staples easy political button to push that is going to make everything go back to normal. In fact, we may never go back to normal. I would encourage you to think hard about that phrase. When will things return to normal? Well, many of us wish that they would. Uh, not that everything was, uh, was going great. Uh, before 2020, before our political chaos, before the rioting, etc. And yet there was a sense at least of seasons of normalcy in American public life, American society, American culture, 
And all that now feels like a thing of the past, and, and we may never go back to that. Let's just square with this. A major part of being a Christian is squaring with, with reality. Many people think that being a Christian means living with your mind constantly up in the clouds such that you run into walls and can't make basic computational math work or something like this. In reality, being a Christian means uh, really as a matter of first priority. When you first come to the faith, that you square with reality as it is, that you accept the terms that God has handed down, that you not reject the world that God has made and the way it works, but actually that you embrace divine sovereignty, that you embrace the recognition of your own sin, that you turn from your sin, that you embrace uh, not reality as you would have it, but biblical truth. And you let that truth in a Romans 12 sense transform you from the inside out, altogether sweeping over your being, changing you at every level and every way. Conversion of Steve Lawson has said being not a makeover that touches you up in certain places, but a divine takeover of Almighty God, such that you are no longer your own. You're bought with a price, and now you are a doulos Christos. You are a slave of Christ under the glad rulership of King Jesus. Conversion in Christianity, then, is coming to terms. It's coming to terms with reality. And I would suggest that many of us need to come to terms freshly with our public and political situation. How are we going to do that, though? If we are not careful, we are going to find ourselves plunged into distress and depression. We're going to feel continual anxiety because religious liberty does look to be increasingly imperiled in this country. It does look like it is going to get harder to be a meaningful Christian in this context. It is, I think, going to more and more feel like you and I are strangers and aliens, not just when we travel abroad, but when we live right here in this country. Being a, a clearly biblical Christian, striving toward that end, much as you and I fail in that respect uh, on a regular basis, is going to stand out more and more. There has been, of course, a, a very lively debate among Christians about, for example, how, how much church is open and, and, and how much churches follow government guidelines and mandates and these sorts of things about worship and, and congregational gatherings. And uh, I have tried to be careful in my own very minor ministry not to say there is, there is in all these circumstances just one way, uh, uh, one conclusion that one can reach uh, if you are godly. And yet we need to just note this again. This is not going away. This is not going to get easier. Uh, the difficulties with government restrictions and mandates and commands are likely, in at least a lot of places, not going to vanish into thin air. We're going to find ourselves, I think, more and more in the position of the wilderness church, in the, in the position of the Puritans in the 17th century, uh, in, in the situation of the Anabaptists in the 16th century, in the case of the Lollards in medieval England. Uh, we're going to find ourselves more like the early church under the Roman heel in different waves of persecution. We're going, to, we're going to get closer more and more to the experience of past martyrs. We, of course, may not face death as a result of our Christian faith. Uh, I don't want to egg the pudding here, but it's at least going to draw more and more close to that as a possibility for many Christians, I would say, around the world. and possibly even in the West if circumstances continue the way they are. 
well, what is, what is our focus then? All this is, is on the table, but what are we supposed to do while we are in circumstances like this? I would direct us to a text like 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, battling for his own apostleship against false apostles who seek to throw Paul's ministry down effectively, says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And then verse 16, this magisterial verse, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Friends, this is the Word of God. This is a first-century word. This was written almost 2,000 years ago, but it is stunningly relevant for you and for me. Never believe it when people tell you that you need to do some sort of transmogrification of the Bible to make it relevant. You need to wave a wand over the Bible in order for it to become compelling in our modern situation as if the Bible needs an edit, the Bible needs an upgrade. The Bible is relevant. The Bible is the most relevant book on planet Earth. And texts like this show us that in full measure. The Apostle Paul, as a Christian, as an apostle, is afflicted in every way. He is, in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 4, perplexed. Think about that word, by the way. Do you ever feel, when you hear presentations of the Apostle Paul that would seek to caricature him, as if he always had an answer, as if he lived in undiminished solitude at every moment. It's not true. The Apostle Paul was not a high priest of rationalism with a, with a formulation for every, every uh, uh, point that someone would make. The Apostle Paul, in simpler terms, felt perplexed. He was vexed by his circumstances. There were moments, I think we can say from verse 8 here, where he did not know what to do. He faced situations that were beyond human reckoning. He, he faced difficulties that he had not prepared for. He faced trials that he did not want. He, he was, we know from 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28, just seven chapters away. He, he, he was in continual danger. He, he was in terrible circumstances as a result of, of being a Christian, of, of being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life was not a life of ease. It was not a life of, of passing contentment sitting by a, a lake somewhere, undisturbed in his repose. He says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four five times, I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And on it goes. The Apostle Paul faced tremendous difficulties as a result of his proclamation of Christ. Being a Christian did not mean for Paul an easy road. Being a minister of the gospel did not mean that Paul had it easy. It's the precise opposite. The Apostle Paul was often perplexed by his situation, by his circumstances. Do you feel perplexed today? You are an apostolic company, if you are. He was persecuted, going back to 2 Corinthians 4.9. He was struck down. He was always carrying in his body the death of Jesus. His outer self was wasting away, verse 16. He had afflictions. He had things seen before him that would naturally compel in you despair. Does that not sound relevant for your present circumstance today? Are there things going on around you in our nation, in our community, in your own family, in your own household that could easily, in natural terms, compel you to despair? Could they drive you into the darkness? I think they could. I think this is where many of us find ourselves. I think this is a common temptation in general terms in a fallen world. And I think it is especially a temptation now to feel as if the darkness is overwhelming us and in danger of overcoming us and shipwrecking our faith. But note this as well. The Apostle Paul, as he says again in this passage, 2 Corinthians 4, was not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed, always dying, but working for life, being renewed internally, storing up, verse 17, an incomparable weight of eternal glory. And he was not looking to his circumstances in all his ministry. He was looking to heaven, according to verse 18. What do you call this mindset? What do you call this ministry? How would you characterize the Apostle Paul, this man who, by his own account, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, faced tremendous ongoing challenges because he was a Christian and yet persevered in the ministry of divine grace? What would you call him? Here's what I would call him, tough-minded. I don't mean by that term that the Apostle Paul was just a rough-and-ready dude who found it in himself to persevere, and because he was so great, he ended up saying a whole lot of stuff he should have said. That's the opposite of what I mean. If you follow the narrative of Paul, if you know the story of Paul, you know that he was doing anything but trying to promote the gospel. He was trying to kill and persecute those, as the book of Acts shows, who were promoting the gospel. You see this in Acts uh, 7, Acts 8, Acts 9. And it was on the Damascus Road that, that the Lord struck Paul down, where he stood, knocked him to the ground, blinded him, and called him to himself. The Apostle Paul was not presenting himself as a candidate for the Christian ministry. The Apostle Paul was trying to stifle and stop Christian ministry. But God saved him, God called him to himself, and then God sent him out after a period of training, maturation, and discipleship, and then Paul took on this apostolic ministry. And as he entered this ministry, he found himself 
facing a continual round of difficulties, uh, perpetual challenges and trials. And so the Apostle Paul had to call on the grace of God on a daily basis, even an hourly basis, even a minute-by-minute basis, in order to endure and persevere and triumph in the work of the ministry. And I think you can sum all that perseverance up in the phrase, tough-mindedness. If you're weak-minded, you're going to face difficulties and you're going to crumble. All of us understand such a response in natural terms. In point of fact, at some level, we all do crumble in this life. Did not the apostles of Jesus Christ crumble just before he is crucified? Did they not desert him in his hour of greatest need? Is the New Testament just giving us something to scoff at when it's giving us that picture of their abandonment of the Lord Jesus Christ? when he is being crucified, when he needs them the most? No. The New Testament, the, the, the Gospels are, are teaching us something about ourselves. It's saying that if the apostles do that, then we will do that. Now, we're not excusing ourselves. Uh, we're not saying our behavior is of no account here. We are simply noting that there is no such thing as unbroken tough-mindedness. We all falter. We all stumble, as James says, in many ways. But yet, in noting that, in noting our own inherent weakness and our propensity to stumble, let us not miss the otherworldly, physical, spiritual, and theological toughness in the Apostle Paul. Let us not miss that, that though he was frail as we are frail, he persevered. He did not stop preaching the gospel. He went on four major missionary journeys. He faced tremendous dangers, 2 Corinthians 11 once more, and yet he kept going. He was told to stop preaching the gospel. He was attacked for preaching the gospel. His life was ended ultimately for preaching the gospel, and yet he never stopped preaching the gospel. He never stopped living as a, as a Christian. This should inspire us. This should drive us on. We are in very difficult circumstances today in the 21st century in America. We are facing unprecedented challenges to religious liberty, for example, in this era. Friends, we need a massive view of God and His grace, His glory, and His kingdom. That is point A. That is go for us. There is no Christian life without God. There is no strength for us without Christ. There is no holiness without the Holy Spirit indwelling us. But what we need to recognize secondarily is that we are not saved to sit still. We are saved to offer witness. We are saved to go. Isn't that what Yahweh said to Abraham in Genesis 12? And isn't that what Christ says to his disciples in Matthew 28, the giving of the Great Commission? He tells them to go. There's a go in Genesis 12 to this one uh, in whose name is, is the foundational biblical covenant of salvation. And then there's a second major go in the New Testament in Matthew's gospel. And that go of the Great Commission 
is still echoed today. But if you are going to go, and if you are going to keep on going, again, you need a perspective of God-inspired, grace-driven, tough-mindedness. What does this mean for you practically as we conclude here today? Let me give you five quick thoughts in closing. First, this means that you, as a Christian man or Christian woman, cultivate a God-centered mindset. In order to do this, you are going to need to first and fundamentally and primarily immerse yourself in the Word of God. You need to dig into the Word. You need to seek deep roots in the Bible and feed on it regularly. And that is going more than anything else I can think of to cultivate in you a God-centered mindset. So, resolve afresh to go deep in the Word of God in this time. Second, you and I need to embrace difficulties rather than wishing them away. I don't mean we need to treat difficulties as if they're good. I don't mean that we fail to try to overcome them. But we also need to just recognize difficulties are here. This world is fallen. We're under a curse. And so we need to square with reality and deal with our circumstances. We need to play the board as God has set it up. And this means that we don't fall into the trap of wishful thinking, as if if we just yearn enough in our heart for badness and challenges to go away, they'll immediately vanish. Sometimes we pray about something and God is pleased to resolve it quickly. He does that. So we should pray. We should take all these things to God and we should ask him for tremendous help in things great and small. But we also should know that it is frequently the case that God uses difficulties to grow us and strengthen us. And so that's going to be part of our tough-mindedness as well. Third, we need to ready ourselves and our family, and I'm thinking particularly here of men who are the heads of their home in the Christian church, to endure hardship. We need to ready ourselves and our families to endure hardship. We need to take our families to the Word of God. We need things like family devotions. We need to pray together as families. We need to avail ourselves of singing hymns together and and talking about these things when we're on a trip in the car. We need to get ready to endure hardship, and we need to do it for the joy set before us, just like joy was set before Christ in his ministry. Fourth, we need to continually reframe our perspective away from ourselves. If we focus on ourselves and our circumstances, I think we're going to fall into despair. In natural terms, we get why people are anxious and do despair, but the Christian church has a much higher call than that. We're not excused there. Anxiety and despair are sins for us. We all slip into these these sins at different times, but we, we must repent of those sins and then we must continually reframe our perspective. Lord, forgive me. I'm, I'm falling into anxiety and despair in my thinking here, as you well know. You know every thought I think. I, 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 used, I used anxious words and discouraging words in my conversation with that brother or sister just a minute ago. Forgive me and help me, Lord, to take my perspective up. Lift my eyes up to the hills from whence comes my help. Lift my eyes up to you. We need to pray these kind of prayers regularly. And then fifth and finally, we need to constantly think about the rewards of the age to come. This world is not all there is. We are not just Christians here and now because that's a 
pretty virtuous thing to be. We'd rather be Christianish than unchristianish. No, for all who are in Christ Jesus, for all who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, claiming his shed blood as the forgiveness of their sin, claiming his resurrection as their resurrection from eternal death into eternal life, we are headed to eternity. We are going to heaven. There is going to be a Revelation 21 and 22, new heavens and new earth, and Christ is the undisputed king of that territory, and no one will unseat him, and no one will oppose him, and no evil scheme will undo his rule. So keep your eyes there. Remember that continually, even as you and I seek to be salt and light in a Matthew 5, 13 to 16 sense now. Brothers and sisters, let's not be weak-minded. We naturally are inclined that direction, all of us, to some degree in differing forms. But let us pray and claim the grace of God, the grace of God that makes us tough-minded and enables us to say with the Apostle Paul, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.